Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. We're going to go ahead and jump into our scripture reading for today. It's going to come from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 20 through 28. And so it says in verse 20, This new system was established with a solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath. But there was an oath regarding Jesus. For God said to him, The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able, once and forever, to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart for sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath. And his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. This is the gospel of Christ. Thank you. God, we uh, thank you uh, for today. I thank you for this place and I thank you for these people. And I pray... uh, in our moments together today, that you would wake us up to something new for a lot of us? Would you wake us up to something uh, that maybe uh, we already know, but but on a deeper level, we wake up to what you're doing in the world? Um, I pray that these uh, our time together would be marked by learning more about you um, and learning more about how you see us and our role in the world. And so I just thank you. I, um, I say this a lot, but in my experience in this room, your spirit comes and things shift and they change in me and in so many of us. And so we just ask for that today. We uh, believe that your spirit is with us. Will you wake us up to what you're doing? In your name we pray. Amen. Um, one more thing before I jump in. Uh, a, a randomly spread throughout your row is a card called Everybody Gets to Play or Let's Play card. Um, if you've been here a while and you're like, I want to dig in a little deeper, uh, one of the best ways to get to know people in this church is to volunteer. So we put a volunteer card there. Um, here's some places that we need help. Preteen, that's one. We'd love to have Aaron Hall come to service sometime. That'd be great. Um, so preteen is, is a, a place of help. We have... Um, 
some holes in our setup team and AV team. So anyway, you can sign up for anything. Also, if you sign that card, it does not mean that you're saying, I will work in preteen till kingdom come. Uh, That is not what it means. It just means I'm interested in doing something. So uh, maybe you used to volunteer and you're ready to get back into it or whatever. Um, Whatever that looks like for you, you can fill that out and drop it in the offering box on your way out. Um, Okay. Do you have things, we talked about something similar to this a few weeks ago, but do you have things in your life that you have woken up to, uh, maybe like a new system of thought that changed uh, everything for you, or like radically changed your life? Um, Here is my example of this. Uh, Last year, I read a book that's really, really good. Um, It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Did anybody else read this last year? No one? Not, oh, yay, okay, Deborah read it. One person, it, it was like the number one book on Audible. Y'all got to read this book. It's really, it's really good. Uh, by read it, I mean I listen to it on Audible. But um, it is so simple. It's not like a, uh, I don't know. Um, it's just a book of research-based advice on how to break bad habits and add in new habits. For some of you, uh, what I'm about to say, and, and if you read the book, especially you Enneagram 1s, maybe Enneagram 5s, um, you're going to be like, duh, we figured this out from birth. But for someone with my personality, uh, (laughs) breaking bad habits and acquiring new good habits is really, really tricky. And so this book was groundbreaking uh, for me. One of the pieces uh, of advice that he has in this book is when you're trying to create a habit, start in small, manageable ways. Again, some of you are like, yes. But if you're like me, you've never thought of that ever. Uh, For example, um, (laughs) I always make these grand declarations. This is how I begin habit. I make a grand declaration, i.e., I want to get healthier. That's a habit lots of us would like to take, right? My I want to get healthier is always I want to get healthier, so I'm going to become a vegan, and I'm going to run a marathon, and I'm going to start on Monday. And then Monday comes, and I obviously meant next Monday, right? And then February comes, and it's like, it's still pretty cold, so it's too cold to be running and not eating cheese, so I'm going to start when it warms up. You know, so I make these grand declarations, and I put them off, and I put them off. Um, Another goal that I have, and I have this every single January, is um, I have the goal that I'm going to read one book a week for the whole year, so 52 books. And I will tell you that every year, I legitimately start reading 52 books. I legitimately do not finish reading all but like three. But so people, uh, sometimes my friend Sarah Stokes every once in a while will be like, how do you read so many books? You quote so many books and sermons. And I'm like, I read like part of that book. I read that first part and it's great. So usually if I'm recommending a book, I finished it. Um, But I do. I say, I'm going to read 52 books, and then I start 52 books, and then I read like three. Um, But this year, I took James Clear's advice, and so rather than making a giant goal, I started by making a small goal. So rather than saying, I'm going to read 52 books this year, I made a goal of reading 10 minutes a day. 10 minutes a day. Uh, You know what happens when you read 10 minutes a day? You read, I read 30 books to the end. I finished 30 books. I started 100. But I finished 30 books because I just, I would sit down for, and sometimes I just read for 10 minutes, and sometimes I read for longer than 10 minutes. Um, But uh, for me, waking up to the idea of creating a small, meetable goal versus a giant um, just proclamation that means nothing has been a radical life change um, for me. 
Uh, I'm sure that all of you have examples of this in your own life, uh, ways that you've woken up uh, to new ways to clean or cook or study or exercise or drive or, or whatever it is, the thing that radically shifted your life. Um, Today, I want to spend time and over the next few weeks uh, talking about one of those things for me uh, when it comes to walking with Jesus. Um, This is something that I woke up to that, um, and I know that I use like big phrases that are absurd, but um, this is something I woke up to that legitimately and radically changed everything for me. It's changed the way I saw Jesus, the way I saw the world, the way I see myself, the way I see all of you. Um, It's something that I think is so incredibly important that it's going to be our focus, uh, honestly, for the next two months. This series uh, uh, is going to take us all the way through Epiphany and into Lent. We're going to spend two months here. Um, Because I can't think of anything that has had greater impact on my life and my faith than diving in uh, to the mystery and the theology of the kingdom of God. Uh, It's one of the reasons I love the vineyard so much, uh, why I'm so in on this movement. Fun fact, the vineyard is not just like uh, two churches in Blount County or just this church. We have uh, thousands of churches all over the world. Um, And and I have never in my life been a denomination girl. Like when people ask me uh, what kind of church I went to, I loved saying something like, I'm Methbaptarian or something very cheesy uh, like that. Um, I am all about smudging borders, especially especially in the church. I think that is a holy way to think and a holy way to live. Um, But I've been very, very thankful for the vineyard um, because uh, it has been a place to help me learn more about and to dive into the kingdom of God. It is, um, if if you want to know what it means to be part of a vineyard church, this is our DNA. The kingdom of God is our DNA. So um, that's why we're gonna spend so long on it. Um, we also, it's really confusing and hard to unpack, so it takes weeks and weeks and weeks. But um, So we talked last week about how in the church calendar, uh, this is the season of epiphany, and epiphany literally means to shine through. How this is a season uh, for the whole church to turn our eyes uh, to Jesus intentionally, to turn our eyes to the nature of Jesus, to the character of Jesus, to who he is, and to what he said and what he did. Uh, And so if we are going to spend a season intentionally looking at these things, uh, then to me it makes sense uh, that we would talk about the kingdom of God. Um, Because I am of the persuasion that the kingdom of God is the thing that Jesus was always talking about. And that it it is the thing that Jesus uh, was always doing. Robert Capon, uh, a writer I love, uh, whose books I have finished once or twice, um, And he's wild, so he comes with an asterisk, like, well, you know, he's a wild man. But he says this, he says, uh, if scripture has a single subject or a single theme, it is about the mystery of the kingdom of God. If scripture is about anything, it's about the kingdom of God. And so we're going to spend this season uh, in in this series that we have named actually after one of Robert Capon's books called Parables of the Kingdom. Uh, so over the next few weeks, my, our, our, we will intentionally look at Jesus uh, through the lens of some of mine and Chad's and maybe uh, another voice or two's um, uh, eyes, our favorite stories in the scripture about the kingdom of God. Parables is interchangeable with stories. Um, and we want these stories to help us slowly unpack what it means for us when we talk about God's kingdom and what that means for our lives. So Um, Today, I want to kind of do a flyover introduction about the way we here at the Vineyards view the kingdom of God. Um, 
So here's what I want to do. Let's start out uh, by uh, kind of scaling things back a little bit and trying to define what a kingdom is. So uh, I need some participation. What is a kingdom in fairy tales or in real life or what? What is a kingdom? A king and its people? That's a good one. Anybody else? I, n- I never do this, so you're like, are we supposed to answer? <laughs> what does it look like to be interactive? Anybody else? Okay. I read a definition. This is why I never do this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, this, is, this is a definition that I read this week that I love. It said, a kingdom is a place. This is what Rachel was saying. A kingdom is a place where a king or queen actively rule and reign. A place where a king or queen actively rule and reign. And so if we take that definition of kingdom and we apply it to the kingdom of God, then the answer to the question, what is the kingdom of God, is it is the rule and reign of God. It's the rule and reign of God. What's the kingdom? It's the rule and reign of God. Uh, I think sometimes in thinking and talking about the kingdom of God, though, uh, before we can even really uh, start to unpack more of the what of the kingdom of God, we have to deal with the confusion of where is the kingdom of God? If a kingdom is a place where a king and king rule, what is the place of God? What is, uh, what is, where is the kingdom of God? Is it here on earth? Jesus said it was here on earth. Is it in heaven? Jesus said it was in heaven. Uh, is it Israel? That seems to make sense in the Old Testament. Is it America? Lots of people believe we're God's chosen country. Uh, is it heaven? Is it earth? Is it kingdom? What, where is it? Um, when we look at the scriptures, the way, and the way that Jesus spoke about it, uh, the kingdom of God does not seem to be limited to something physical. That's what makes it kind of confusing confusing. It doesn't seem to be limited to something physical like a city or a country or a continent. Jesus says the kingdom is here. He says the kingdom is coming. He says it's in heaven. He says it's on earth. It it seems to exist beyond a physical boundary. Last week we talked about uh, that that Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of smudged borders. And I think that's what Jesus came to say. It's not just Israel, but it's Everywhere. If we uh, go back to the original language, the word for kingdom used in the New Testament is basilia, which has like this connotation of an active movement to it. The word uh, doesn't allow room for borders. Uh, The word itself uh, means like an exercise of kingly rule, an active kingly rule, not just an establishment of a geographic boundary for a king to be in charge of but an active and dynamic rule of a king everywhere. So, to add to our working definition, the kingdom of God isn't just a place, but the dynamic rule and reign of God over all things. Is it heaven? Yes. Is it earth? Yes. It's visible. It's invisible. It's wider than we imagine. And so I think defining and unpacking Uh, The kingdom is so vitally important to the study of Jesus because Jesus spends so much of his time talking about it. So much of his time talking about it. In fact, uh, when Jesus begins his ministry on earth, if we look at his very first moments of his earthly ministry, um, he begins his ministry declaring and claiming the kingdom. Or the fancy Bible word for it is inaugurating his kingdom. Uh, In the Bible, in the book of Mark, If you go to Mark chapter 1, the first time Jesus speaks in the whole book of Mark, uh, what uh, is is what John Wimber, John Wimber is the guy that founded the Vineyard Movement, and he calls uh, 
Jesus' first words in Mark 1, his thesis statement for his entire life and existence. Jesus says this in Mark 1.15. He says, the time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. This is what John Wimber calls Jesus' thesis statement. The first thing that Jesus says in the book of Mark is, the time has come. The kingdom, God's space, has come near to us. Turn around and believe the good news. And I really am of the belief and conviction that everything that Jesus says and everything that Jesus does during his time on earth points to this statement, points toward it or points back to it. Uh, everything that Jesus says and does is in clarification of this statement or in commentary on this statement that the kingdom has come near and that this is good, good news. John Wimber uh, said this, he said, everything Jesus said was the kingdom and everything Jesus did was the kingdom. Everything he said and did was about bringing God's dynamic rule and reign and everything that he did was about bringing heaven into earth. So I'm going to get a little bit of help. This is, that's the best I can do <laughs> explaining it um, for an intro. So I'm going to get a little help today. Um, we're going to watch a quick video uh, that I think is fantastic. Um, if you've never heard of the Bible Project, um, I would love to make you aware of a, a, a group of folks called the Bible Project. They make, um, they're buddies of the vineyard, uh, which is, is pretty fun, and, um, and they, uh, they're amazing. Um, they are so amazing that you may see another video in a couple weeks from them. Um, but they have this incredible ability to take a really intense biblical and theological concept and uh, bring it down to earth in a more like tangible and relatable and understandable way. So uh, we're going to watch a video right now that they call Heaven and Earth that I legitimately think does the best job I've ever seen at talking about what I've been trying to talk about, what our scripture in Hebrews that Chad read to us was trying to talk about. So um, hit it, Kurt. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here, there's trees, rivers, mountains, but my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So 
explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty. But human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. Literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, behold, this is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming 
to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. So good, right? That picture gets me, so it gets me a little weepy every time. Uh, a writer I love named John Mark Comer, he calls uh, that purple picture Garden City, which I think is so perfect. Uh, here is what changed uh, everything for me, what we just watched. Uh, here, here is the thing that changed it. For so much of my life, I thought that following Jesus was as simple as getting me and other people from that dark crimson circle that we saw into the purple circle. That's what I thought the point was. Uh, but what kingdom teaching and kingdom theology did for me was that it allowed me to take uh, what we try to do a lot around here and take a few steps back and get a little bit wider and honestly a lot more exciting uh, view of things. Where the point wasn't just that God sent his son to suck us up out of the crimson and get us to the purple, uh, but that the God who, who, whose response to evil and injustice and destruction of the crimson was to send his presence into it. To absorb up all of the crimson in order to create space where the presence and empowering and creative call of God is without limit and without border. I always, I had a hunch that there had to be more to following Jesus. I just didn't quite have the words for it. So waking up to the kingdom of God in this new way offered me a view of Jesus' sacrifice that wasn't limited to just one small area, but had the ability to spread and spread and spread beyond its borders and to fill all of the crimson world with purple everywhere. The over, uh, to overlap and fill our world with the good stuff of the kingdom, heaven and mercy and hope and freedom and healing and beauty and justice everywhere. The kingdom of God, it is wild and it is exciting and it is scary and it is not boring at all. I get so sad when people think that Jesus is boring, uh, but I get it uh, because I think often the story we've been told is kind of a boring one. A story with a, a great answer for what happens when you die, but not a lot of answers uh, about how to actually live. I told you that kingdom theology uh, radically changed my life, and this is what I mean. It offered me a giant shift in perspective that I had been invited to live, not just to die, to live, not just as someone earning a holy spot in that holy of holies uh, or to earn a place in the purple in heaven uh, when I die, but instead that I got to become uh, someone who has been invited to join God in his work of bringing heaven into earth now. Or as we say around here, joining God in the renewal of all things. That, that I had a role in this. And that shifted my perspective so much. It didn't take away the joy and excitement of heaven. It just brought some excitement into my life. It, it changed how I did so much. It changed how I grocery shop, how I see the world, how I pick a restaurant, how I see politics. It, it changed the way I live in my actual house uh, because my house became not just a place uh, to fill with or to eat and sleep and, you know, store my stuff, but a place to fill with the good stuff of heaven. When you come to my house, I want you to feel the good stuff of heaven. It became a place to live as a neighbor, not just as a shut-in who's exhausted, uh, though I've spent many of those days <laughs> in the last couple of weeks. It changed how I worked. 
Uh, work became not just like punching numbers or completing tasks, but instead uh, it changed to where I, I got to be a person empowered by God in the business of renewal and justice and hope in my work. And that's not just because I'm a preacher. That's new for me. Uh, That work is possible everywhere. I was texting two friends last night about this. Uh, One is an interior designer who brings heaven to earth in the coolest ways in houses all over uh, this community. Another one, uh, my friend Micah owns Diamond Jack. I'm always uh, telling you to go to Diamond Jack. Uh, Owns Diamond Jack in downtown Maryville. And he created a business devoted intentionally to filling his square mile of concrete with justice. He wants to work with justice, uh, with beauty, with the good stuff of the kingdom of God. He did this on purpose. He does this on purpose. I could legitimately talk about this forever. (laughs) Uh, So we will for two months. Um, But uh, I just, let's just pause here now. Um, uh, Because again, we're going to talk about this for a few weeks. And so if you're like, oh my gosh, this does not make any sense at all. uh, Don't give up on us. I I think it will. Um, Teaching and unpacking this slowly, I think, will be good. Um, But if you ever have questions, you can always ask us. Text us, grab us after service, uh, call us, DM us, email us, whatever. Um, But today, let's just, let's take a breath here. Seems like uh, the right spot. And allow the Holy Spirit to wake us up to something new. Uh, For some of you, this stuff is uh, brand new. It's the first time you've ever heard anything like this. For others of you, it may be the billionth time you've heard anything like this. Uh, But the beauty of walking with Jesus is no matter how many times you hear something, uh, one time or a billion times, there's always something new to wake up to. So uh, we're just going to make room for the Holy Spirit to do that at us.